Welcome back, everyone, to another week here at True Crime on Easy Street. My name's Katie Givens. I'm still not a lawyer. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist reporting for duty. <laughs> Kelly Turner, not a doctor. And we've got a really neat episode coming up for you. Kelly's going to tell you all about it here in a second, but we have some updates mm-hmm. and you're really going to want to hear this. But first, mm-hmm. Kelly Scott, I think y'all were talking into a mic last night. Yes, we were. Yeah, at length, I can't believe I'm at horse today because we spent the better part of three hours last night uh, acting as the masters and masteress of ceremony at the second annual Theater Center Christmas Cabaret, which was held across the street here at Easy Street Restaurant, mm-hmm. Bar, and Performance Hall. What a magnificent evening. Over two dozen performers all singing Christmas music. What a talented group of people we have right here in Cherokee County. And you and I got to introduce every one of them. It was fascinating. It, they were phenomenal. And... What a wonderful collaboration with our local community theater, our theater center, mm-hmm. and Easy Street to bring that to the community last night. They sold tickets. Easy Street shut down, right, Katie? Yes, we were closed to the public, and only patrons of this performance got to come and enjoy. Yeah, and they sold tickets online. You were able to purchase your tickets. They were very easy to purchase. That, that was a totally... Very easy process. That went a lot smoother than I thought. And it was a three-course meal. We had 160 people in the restaurant last night. Uh, They were entertained for the better part of three hours. Well, except for when you and I were on stage. But for the rest (laughs) of the time, it was pretty cool. Yes, it was. And I got to say this. Shane's parents... Oh, yeah. Like heads of the kitchen last night, responsible for the chicken and everything that went with it and the delicious dessert and the the appetizer, the Brunswick stew, and it was all delicious. All homemade right there in the kitchen. Thank you, Jimmy and Sharon, for heading that up for us last night. And so the way that works is Easy Street allowed Theater Center to come and take over the stage, take over everything. And boy, did they. Yep. Fed, fed all the people the food, and they donated to Theater Center. So they had an arrangement. Easy Street basically just took what it was going to take to pay, you know, pay for the staff or pay for the food, right. and then the rest went straight in the pocket of Theater Center, the local community theater. And that's going to uh, that's going to finance their 2023 uh, slate yes. of live performances and they they announced all of them last night. I don't have it in front of me, but it sounded pretty cool. It's the Last of fun. the Red Hot Lovers is the first thing that's coming up, I think. They're going to have those uh, rehearsals very soon. They are. They're going to have auditions for auditions, that. Auditions, I'm sorry. I don't know how those are going to go, but I can imagine. I'm probably going to make that show. <laughs> just out of curiosity. Well, I just want to say y'all did a fantastic job, Jenny. Stephanie, y'all did a great job yeah. oh, they putting did. everything together. Mm-hmm. I know it was a labor of love on everyone's part. You know, when you deal with that many people, getting that many people together yeah. in one coordinated effort, it's it's a job. And Three dozen performers and and so many volunteers who helped decorate the place and mm-hmm. uh, ta- tablecloths on every table. And uh, what do you call the thing in the middle of a table? Um, centerpiece. Centerpiece. Thank you. We had those on every table and menus and it just, there was no, there wasn't a hitch last night. Talent from all over. Yeah. It was, it was a, a great show. It was a great opportunity. I missed it last year and I was so glad I got to be Shane did year. step on one of my jokes, but he probably made it funnier in the process. So <laughs> I'll give him a great. pass. Yeah. Shane was great. He was running the sound. He was troubleshooting. And then he was also opening and closing the show as well as singing. At yep. different points. I'm not going to try to describe 
the outfit he wore when the show opened uh, because it's going to sound vulgar if I do. So skip over. You'll just have to come next year and we'll try to encourage him to wear it again. It was great. And thank you, Katie, for you guys sponsoring that for our local. Yeah, Katie was working hard last night. She was holding down that piece of floor that she was standing on. I'm kidding. She was running around putting out fires, none literal, thankfully. But uh, uh, some fires to put out when you have that many people running around and Katie and Shane uh, nailed their part. So it was a 100% effort all around and we pulled it off. Yes. Fantastic. Way to go, Theater Center Board Mm -hmm. and Easy Street. So. Today's episode, we have some updates from some cases that we have covered previously. If you go back and listen to episode seven and eight of this season, it gives you the coverage that we had to begin with, but there have been some developments in this case. So let me give you some quick bullet points. Kelsey German, the older sister of Libby German, dropped off Libby German and Abigail Williams at the Monon High Bridge that goes over Deer Creek in the Deer Creek Township, which is near Delphi, Indiana. uh, The father, Derek, Libby's father, was going to show up at 3.15. He was going to pick the girls up. The girls were not there. They were found the next day, which is Tuesday, February the 14th, 2017. Their bodies were found. They were found. We do not know how the girls were murdered, but we do know that they were murdered. There has been an investigation going on since that time in 2017. Now, we discussed that the girls, they weren't skipping school. School was not in that day. They were going to the, it's kind of like going to the park there. It's a it's a place, or going to the canyon here. Mm-hmm. Yes, I It's a place that they go. Presumed and, to be a safe place to spend the afternoon. Mm-hmm, it's a park, a public park. Yeah. And so, we talked about in that episode the footage that was found from the phone. One of the girls had their had her phone, and we got the soundbite guys down the hill, and we got the picture of Bridge Guy. Right. right? Yes. Okay. So that investigation has been going on since then. The Indiana State Police have been, I mean, working tirelessly on this. Five and a half years, though. Yes, and and people are getting restless and getting ready for something, but there's been a development. So, it Libby's phone had the picture of the of Abby walking across the bridge, the Snapchat, and they found the phone obviously at the crime scene, which seems like an oversight for whoever perpetrated this crime. Yeah, I think you would clean up after yourself. Yeah, to some well, extent, bonehead uh, is what good. Is. And then another photo is that of the bridge guy walking across. So, let's talk about the persons of interest that we discussed in great detail in those episodes. But I'm just going to, there was Paul Eater, Daniel Nations, Thomas Bruce, and James Bryan Chadwell II. Now, Chadwell was the one that we focused on who had a tattoo that resembled Libby quite a bit. and. We finished our persons of interest with Keegan Anthony Klein, who is going to jail regardless, um, even though he's not yes. the one they arrested for this. He's going to jail. I think, I think pretty much all of these guys are going to jail for, I mean, they have cl- crimes to children in some form or fashion. But Keegan Anthony Klein is the one who had the fake um, social media accounts that was catfishing 
people. We talked about catfishing. And he's the one who actually used a photograph of a police officer in Alaska for one of his social media. Really? He didn't know it was a cop. Mm -hmm. And I'm laughing because that's funny. Yeah, that's how boneheaded you can be. Yeah. So he went to jail for child pornography. In fact, 30 alleged crimes at the time that we talked about it, including child exploitation, possession of child pornography, child solicitation for sexual intercourse, and obstruction of justice. So he has a long time to spend in jail for that. So I found all that on his computer. All right. So what happened recently? That's the the quick version of what we talked about in seven and eight on Friday, October the 28th, 2022, a man named Richard M. Allen was arrested and charged with the murders of Libby and Allie. Now Allen is a Delphi resident who lives about one and a half miles from the Monon high bridge. And he wasn't one of those suspects that we discussed last time. So no, no he was not. Okay. The probable cause affidavit was originally sealed. And they had to take that to court. Uh, But first, on Monday, October 31st, which is Halloween, they had a press conference to talk about this arrest being made and that the affidavit was sealed. Now, they went to court on November the 22nd, and they were going to decide if this should remain sealed or if they should release it to the public. The judge takes some time on this, doesn't make a quick decision, which is, I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. The prosecutor, who is Nicholas McLeland, is the one who wants the document sealed. And he gave a couple of reasons in this court hearing on November 22nd. First thing, quote, there is reason to believe that there are other actors involved, end quote. And there are witnesses that he wants to keep safe that are in this PCA or probable cause affidavit. Can I just say PCA? From you here? can now. Yes. Okay. All right. So the sealing of this document has led to lots of criticism from botched investigations. They're saying, oh, if they, if they open it up, they're just going to see how the police have botched this for all of these years. But it is important to know that it is, in fact, the prosecutor wanting that sealed, not the Indiana State Police. They were perfectly fine with it being released. The defense wants this released. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that it was the prosecutor. The prosecutor is trying to protect the integrity of his case as well as his witnesses. And the fact that he's talking about that there are other actors involved, they may be trying to get enough evidence or trying to get it all together to make another arrest. Possibly. I don't that know. Is, that is a theory. I think that's kind of how some people view this. Yes. So I just wanted to kind of come to the aid of the Indiana State Police there and say they actually wanted it released. They're not trying to hide any botched investigation or anything like that. They've been very thorough from the beginning and they've also been, you know, slowly. They've had time. Thorough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's been going through. I mean, can you imagine how many tips they've received Mm-mm, Yeah, over the course of five years? So what is in the probable cause affidavit? Well, before I get into what is in it, let me talk about what is not in it. 
They only must reveal probable cause to arrest him and then build their case. They do not have to lay everything out. It must be enough to make an arrest, though. Correct, Katie? Yes. Yeah, there would be no reason for it otherwise. Right. So, they want to put enough information in there to get the arrest, but they don't necessarily have to lay it all out. But there will come a time at some point where they will have to give and show all of their cards. But that comes when court happens, correct? Yeah, yeah that's yes. when you've seated a jury and you're in front of a judge. And then, and then they want to hold everything until then. They, right. they don't want to give the other side room to maneuver, I guess. Exactly. Okay. All right. So that's what's not in it. Now, the affidavit itself is about eight pages long. The first page or two talks about the, the crime and the description of the crime. And then the rest of it is the case on why Richard M. Allen should be arrested. Now, we know, right. I mean, spoiler alert, he was arrested. Because you do a probable cause affidavit when it is a warrantless arrest. So there was no warrant out for his arrest. Right. So they arresting officers have to do this affidavit in order to make an arrest. Right. And so the judge read it and granted this because then they arrested him the Friday before Halloween and then had this press conference on Halloween. But this document has been sealed. No one knew exactly why they arrested this man until it was released recently by the judge. So that's where that's that brings us to where we are today. The first big thing in that is there was a 40 caliber bullet found at the crime scene. It was an unspent round and it had extraction markings on it. It was found on the ground between the bodies of the two girls. So it was not shot out It wasn't of a spent bullet no, shell. No, but it was extracted. So you think about having a handgun. When you do what's called you rack your gun, mm-hmm. if there's a bullet in that chamber, it'll pop out. Yeah. And so that is what they're saying has happened. And it had scratches on it that indicated it had been tossed out of when that was... It had been extracted. Okay. Yes. So what they're saying is the bullet on the ground came from a gun owned by Richard Allen. Okay. Okay. That's what they're saying in there. Now, it also, in the video taken by Libby on the day of the crime, where we get the guys down the hill and we get the, the... Footage of bridge guy walking. The four words, guys down the hill. That's all. That's the audio. And we see a bridge guy walking across. Mm-hmm. We see him take a, a step or two. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't release a whole lot. But also in the video, one of the girls says gun after bridge guy gets closer to them. That is That can be heard in the audio. Now, they didn't release that until this affidavit. So you can, that's unfolding now. So you can see why they held that. Right. And did not come out with that when everybody was saying, why have they really, why don't they just release the whole video? Well, let's say Richard Allen is your guy. Guess what he's going to get rid of? Yeah, that 40 caliber handgun. Yeah. Guess what he didn't get rid of? Mm, that 40 right. caliber handgun. Yeah. So now it's starting to make sense yeah. if you're the uh, the prosecution team or yes. the, uh, the, it may, it, the DA. It is. Yes. Why they're holding things and not releasing it. So for all I we not- know, hopefully they arrested this guy, went into his house and found that very, and we know that they did, right? Because yeah. it matched to the gun. The you gun said it matched owned. to this guy. Yep. Richard Allen never reported this gun missing or stolen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if Richard Allen is the one who granted them access to the home. It could have been his wife, but they searched the home. Okay. So, the bullet is found in between the two girls, matching a gun to girls, 
One of the girls on the video says gun. Mm-hmm. And then guys down the hill and they start down the hill. And then as it is my understanding, according to this affidavit, the, the video ends. Okay. At that point. I'm going to give you a description of this man. And I'm going to read this directly from the affidavit. It is on page two. Interviews were conducted with three juveniles. Of course, their names are redacted. They advised they were on the Monon High Bridge Trail on February 13th, 2017. They advised they were walking on the trail toward Freedom Bridge to go home when they encountered a male walking from Freedom Bridge toward the Monon High Bridge. Redacted name described the male as kind of creepy and advised he was wearing, quote, like blue jeans, a like really light blue jacket, and he his hair was gray, maybe a little brown, and he did not really show his face, end quote. She advised the jacket was a duck canvas type jacket. Redacted advised she said hi to the male, but she just but he just glared at them. She recalled him being in all black and had something covering his mouth. She described him as, quote, not very tall, end quote, with a bigger build. She said he was not bigger than five foot ten. Redacted, advised he was wearing a black hoodie, black jeans, and black boots. She stated he had his hands in his pockets. Redacted, showed investigators photographs she took on her phone while she was on the trail that day. The photographs included a photo of the Monon High Bridge taken at 12.43 p.m. and another one taken at 1.26 p.m. And this is um, off of the bench of the, it's, it's a picture of the bench of the uh, east of the Freedom Bridge. So she's showing them photographs. And she advised that after she took the photo of the bench, they started walking back toward Freedom Bridge. And she advised that was when they encountered the man. So they're using that photograph as a timestamp. Mm-hmm. Okay. To, to say this is when we saw. Okay. And so let me go back. She advised that was when they encountered the man who matched the description of the photograph taken from victim two's video. So what they're showing in this affidavit is they're giving you a, a good timeline that they're they're putting this individual. So the photo in the victim's video matches that description as far as the, the, the same, clothing. Just, mm-hmm, okay, the same description from their juvenile witnesses. Which, Why did it take five years to find that? I guess that's the question that I have at this well, point. We don't know that it took five. Okay, years Okay, that's true. That. That's true. Don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I think it was. So many tips, and there was so much to look at, and I think they, you know, that, yeah. But I would think I that the person who was there the same day with the video would would get quickly moved to the top of the list of evidence I they wanted to would, go through. But then that doesn't necessarily mean that they know who this guy is, True. or that mm-hmm. they can find this guy. Yeah, because we don't know when this interview took place, do we? No, that's a good no. point too. They may have mm-hmm. taken place two days after, right? Yeah. Because. Are you really going to remember this much detail five years later? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Good point. So on this 
document, pages three and four go on to describe a vehicle. And I'm not going to read directly from this anymore because it kind of gets, you know, redundant at right. times and tedious. It's quite boring at times, actually. Yeah. But video footage from the Hoosier Harvestor captures this vehicle traveling eastbound at 1.46 p.m. toward the entrance across from the Mears Farm. This video can show that a vehicle that is similar to Richard Allen's, which is a 2016 Black Ford Focus, can be seen in the area. There is also a witness who noticed a vehicle that was parked near the park, but it wasn't parked at the front of the park where you would drop someone off or, or there's, there's limited parking there, but it was parked at a building where they called the Old Child Protective Services. We get that around here. There's buildings that were like, oh, it used to be. This. Yeah, regardless of what it is now, if it was, if you remember to something else a, a generation ago when you first started driving and it was a landmark where you turned, mm-hmm. it's still the pump house, mm-hmm. for example. So I think but this may be called the Old Child Protective Services building because I don't know if it's abandoned or if it's changed to something else. Who knows? But yeah, we, mm-hmm. we know that. But... The reason that this witness noticed this vehicle is because of the way that it was parked. There are cars, as I understand it, that park there all the time, especially if they're going over to the park to get on the bridge to walk around, look look at everything. But this particular vehicle was parked. They had backed into it. So what they're saying in this is the reason it was parked that way is so no one could get the license plate. Ah. It was backed up against the building. Okay. But the witness, one witness described it as a smart car, which I could see a, a Ford Focus being described as a smart car. But another witness has also identified it almost as a PT Cruiser. Hmm. I don't know that I would ever mistake a Ford Focus for a PT Cruiser, even the the little hatchback versions of the Ford Focus. Yeah, as as unattractive as a Ford Focus is, it certainly is not as unattractive as As a a PT Cruiser. And if we just lost you as a listener because you drive a PT Cruiser, that's your fault, not ours. (laughs) A Ford Focus is so generic that I think I would describe it as, I saw a car. Like a, a car. Yeah. Headlights in the front, taillights in the back. I could see it being described as a smart car, though, because it's a smaller. You mean an economy car, car when you say kind a smart like car? A, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I think that's what the witness was talking about. Yeah. But they were noticing the way that this, this vehicle, and it was dark in color, was parked, is against the building. So you could not see the license plate. But what they're saying is they believe that to be Richard M. Allen's car. Okay. All right, so that's what's in the affidavit. I mean, there's there's some more, but there is a segment here where they talk about an interview with Richard Allen in 2017. Now, how many cases have we talked about here, or how many have you seen? Too where, many. Where the individual wants to insert themselves right. into yes. the investigation? Always. So they're using this interview with him to try to paint that picture and say he's trying to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it says uh, Mr. Allen was on the trail between 1330 and 1530. Okay. It's an army time. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So that's one thirty and three thirty. Yes. And he comes forward in 2017 and he admits to being on the trail. Yes. But he claims he did not see anyone. Interesting. And um, he says that while he was on the Freedom Bridge, he did see three females. He noted one was taller and had brown hair or black hair. He did not remember description, nor did he speak with them. He walked from the Freedom Bridge to the High Bridge, which is the Monon High Bridge, and he did not see anybody there. That was it. So he's just out getting mm. his steps in. So the the three people that he describes seeing are the three juveniles whose names were redacted in that mm. document who it who saw him. They saw him on the Freedom Bridge and they spoke to him. They said hi. The guy in the black pants, the black boots, the black hoodie, and the light blue canvas duck style. Yes, over and jacket. he does not talk about them speaking to him. He just, but he says once he got off the Freedom Bridge and onto the High Bridge, that he did not see anyone, and um, that he did not notice any vehicles nearby, and he did not take any photos or videos. It's not unusual for someone to be there at the park and be on the bridges. Right. We've already established that. And I will go ahead and say that Richard Allen is innocent until proven guilty. I'm not going to sit here and say that about him just yet. He is an alleged he is. perpetrator at this and, point. And he has been arrested and charged with both of these murders, and this is what we know so far. But he does not say he saw the two girls and he was there at the same time. Just about the same time. Yeah. Yeah. But he felt the need to sort of come forward and say that he saw the the other three. Well, he knows that if the cops do their job properly, that they're going to find those three people and they're going to say, we saw this guy. And so he may as well admit to that. Right. So that might, that that has been some of the strategy. That's been some of the speculation as to why he came forward in the first place and admitted to seeing those oh, three shit, people, they saw but me. not the two girls. I better tell, I better say it before they come mm-hmm. and ask. Yeah. And then some people say, well, no, he was just there and whoever did this had already taken the girls and he just didn't see them. And right. as far as we know, that's correct. Who knows? I right. Mean, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where we are, but that's, that's in this affidavit. So th- this is what we have. On October the 13th, 2023, Richard Allen was interviewed again by investigators. He advised he was on the trails on February 13th, 2017. He stated he saw juvenile girls on the twel- on the trails east of Freedom Bridge and that he went onto the Monon High Bridge. Richard Allen further stated that he went out onto the Monon High Bridge to watch the fish. Later in his statement, he said he walked out to the first platform on the bridge He stated he then walked back, sat on a bench on the trail, and then left. He stated he parked his car on the side of an old building. He told investigators that he was wearing blue jeans and a blue or black Carhartt jacket with a hood. He advised he may have been wearing some type of head covering as well. He further claimed he saw no one else uh, for the juvenile girls. He saw east of the Freedom Bridge. He told investigators that he owns firearms and they are at a, at his home. So he he's saying, yes, I was there and yes, I was dressed. Exactly how uh, they describe me. Exa- to be. Yeah. Just like bridge guy. 
Was just like Bridge Guy. And I, I'm going to say this. Uh, the type of clothing Bridge Guy is wearing is, I mean, it's not uncommon clothing. Generic. Let's just, let's just, so, you know, let's let's be devil's advocate. It's I don't know a lot of guys with a light blue jacket. But it's a Carhartt. It's a light blue Carhartt jacket. Like a canvas material. Yeah, like what you I've would got wear. one, but mine's tan like every Carhartt like jacket Carhartt. should be. Well, that, Shane likes blue. Like some people, they just have their colors. And it's February in Indiana. So, you know, if that's mm-hmm. his warm, if that's his warm coat, right. then that's his warm coat, you know. Mm-hmm. So to back to this ammunition. So we've we've got the witnesses, and then we've got him sort of explaining that away. And when we have the bullet, and so what they're saying is his gun that he owns, the bullet that was laying between the two girls, came from his gun. It's pretty incriminating. It's pretty incriminating, but we should also um, talk about the science of that and how good that is. Is it good or is it not? What do you guys know about that? I know very little. Uh, I know that the prosecutor thinks it's good enough to go and arrest this guy. Well, mm-hmm. the officers think it's good enough. To oh, yeah. The, the, the Indiana State Police, right. So between October 14th, 2022 and October 19th, 2022, the Indiana State Police Laboratory performed an analysis on his gun. And it's a Sig Sauer model P226. It's a handgun. Right. That means nothing to me. (laughs) The laboratory performed a physical examination and classification of the firearm, a function test, barrel and overall length measurement, test firing, ammunition component characterization, microscopic comparison. Uh, You know, they're doing all their their wonderful lab tests. And after all that, they went and got his ass. So Yeah, they did. So, an identification opinion is reached when the evidence exhibits an agreement of class characteristics and a sufficient agreement of individual marks. Sufficient agreement is related to the significant duplication of random impressed marks as evidenced by the correspondence of a pattern or combination of patterns of surface contours. The interpretation of identification is subject in nature and based on relevant scientific research and the reporting examiner's training and experience. So it's subjective. It's not objective. They're, t- they're saying that, yeah. They're saying our expert says it matches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not 100%. It's not like DNA. We've all read about cases where mm-hmm. bullets or, or shells were matched mm-hmm. with a particular weapon with such a degree that mm-hmm. it was helped to secure a conviction. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that's going to be a point that's made. Sure, yeah. Also, Richard Allen's saying he was on the bridge between one thirty and 3.30, but there's no one there that can put him on that bridge after 2.13 p.m., and they also go into that to describe, to explain that. that so his alibi he, is that he was at the crime scene, but later. But, yeah. And that um, he does own a gun and, you know, that is his gun, but that's, you know. Not- is he claiming this is not his bullet? Like, did, is he saying he didn't take that gun out that day? The, all that it has in here is that he has admitted that he owns a, owns gun. a gun. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know what his response was to the bullet. So literally the jury is still out on that. Mm-hmm. 
So what they're saying is he was gone by 2.13 and they believe that they have footage of him driving from the crime scene. And the crime scene is projected at what time? What the victim's phone shows Mm -hmm. is that at 2.13 p.m. they encountered this male on the Moon and High Bridge. And that's where we get guys down the hill. Right, and he's claiming to have been gone. So it's going to be during that time. Now, he's yeah. going to claim that he was out there looking at the fish uh-huh. on the bridge between one thirty and 3.30. Yeah. But they're what saying, a terrible alibi. They're saying that he was with the girls. Exactly. So, yeah, he, he and, yeah. claims he is there. If he there was there from one thirty to 3.30, then he saw the crime. Right, exactly. He's there the entire duration of when but, this But didn't happened. see yeah. the two girls on the bridge. Only saw the three people that mm-hmm. saw someone matching his description. And then there was this piece of evidence. Investigators spoke with someone whose name has been redacted, who stated that she was traveling east on 300 North on February the 13th, 2022, which is right near our area. And she observed a male subject walking west on the north side of 300 North away from the Monon High Bridge, which mm-hmm. is another way you can get from the bridge, you know, get out of the area. But it's not the way that it's not at the front of the it's park. It's like we You're talked not about going back. Yeah. The, the railroad bed probably runs parallel to the highway. And like you said, there's uh, multiple access points to get to that park. So if mm-hmm. somebody backed their little black Ford Focus up to the former child services building, they could walk along that roadway to get to the park. And to get to, uh, yep. Exactly. I'm starting to form a theory here. You guys want to hear it? And to get away from the area. And so this person saw this man traveling down this road and said that the man was wearing a blue colored jacket and blue jeans and was muddy and bloody. She further stated that it it appeared that he had gotten into a fight. Investigators were able to determine from watching the video from the Hoosier Harvest Store that this individual was traveling on this road at approximately 3.57 p.m. Oh, wow. This episode of True Crime on Easy Street is brought to you by the Chamber of Cherokee County. Thank you so much for being a sponsor. They want to remind us to shop local. Scott, what does that mean? That means that Amazon sucks and that Teresa and Joy do a fantastic job of promoting local businesses. Ribbon cuttings almost every week. Yes. And every the, week. They I just see want that. you to know to stay here in the county. You can buy anything here that you can buy anywhere else. So just do that here. That's right. And when you shop local, you're supporting those businesses that put it back into the community. They sponsor your ball teams, your school events. They buy your donuts. They buy your wrapping paper. A very engaged community here in Cherokee County. And they all want to support local high schools and elementary schools and middle schools. So give them your money if you're going to buy it somewhere anyway. Mm -hmm. And let them give it to your kids. Absolutely. And not only do they sponsor ball teams, they support clubs, meetings, All of this, they have the uh, young chamber members that come. Yeah, youth leadership, Cherokee. Yep, on a Mm -hmm. monthly basis or quarterly basis. Right. And so they do all of that, and they ask one thing of you. All the things that they do, they ask us one thing. Shop local. Absolutely. Hey, guys, this week coming up at Easy Street, Tuesday night we have Bingo with Shane. Wednesday night is our new open mic night, so come plug up, play, do whatever. Not whatever. Yeah, not whatever. Actually, yeah. Come check with me first. Yes, please. Check with somebody in authority before you just climb up on the stage. Oh, my. 
Thursday night is trivia. That's right. And the three of us are going to play this week. The team of experts is going to be involved in trivia. And if you can beat us, I dare you. <laughs> and we are going to donate our winnings because we will win. You're talking, okay, yeah, we are going to win. <laughs> we're going to donate our winnings to charity. So we're not going to keep any of that. We are a charitable group after all. I got outvoted on that, but whatever. <laughs> Friday night, we have Jason Cameron, and Saturday is our ugly sweater party. So come in your best ugly sweater. Oh, that's so fun. Would there it be, will be your crying. worst ugly sweater? <laughs> mm, debatable. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> See you there. So there's this newspaper in town that I happen to be the managing editor of. It's called the Cherokee Post-Herald, and we're doing this uh, promotion. It's a subscription drive. And what we want you to do is subscribe to the paper. And as a reward for that, we let you enter our bowl hard cash contest. We're going to give away $500. The bowl game list is out. All of the, uh, the bowl games that will be in the paper, there's a, an entry list. You pick the winners of the 14 featured bowl games. There's a tiebreaker at the end. You have to subscribe for as little as $20 a year, depending on your zip code. And that puts you in the contest. Whoever picks the most winners in the bowl games wins $500, American dollars. So Scott, what's gonna, what are you going to do when I beat you in this? Uh, do you have a subscription? Not yet, but I'm going to. Uh, you better hurry. You have until December the 28th at 5 o'clock to subscribe and enter the contest. I will make that deadline and I will beat you. Challenge accepted. So that puts him right there in plenty of time. And now him, bridge guy, right? just kind of review what all we've said because we've kind of, I've, well, not we, I have been all over the place with this. And I'm just not used to reading documents like this, these yeah. affidavits mm-hmm. and yeah. legal documents. I mean, wow. So there's a bullet that was found between the two girls that matches his bullet. Gotcha. This or Allen his gun, fellow. This Allen, Richard M. Allen. And the ammunition is similar to ammunition that he uses. Now, 40 caliber ammunition, pretty common, I would say. Mm. That type of gun yeah. is a very common handgun. Here in America, every type of handgun is common. Yeah. So we have we have that, but as I understand it, the bullet, the type of mm-hmm. bullet is not so common. Okay. And the mark- that's all I can say. And the markings on it. <laughs> and and the markings. Ma- match you know, the markings that his handgun would yeah. make. And apparently a gun is pretty, you know, they have their own type of markings right. that they leave. Mm-hmm. And we've got a car that matches his in the area. We've got... We've got him admitting to being in the area wearing similar clothes. We've got people who see him going towards the Monon High Bridge We've got people who see him walking from the area who would just, or not him, but a man fitting his description Mm -hmm. and the same clothing that he's wearing and seems to be muddy and bloody. I feel like at some point in the future, we're going to be having another conversation about this case and we're going to be banging our heads against these fucking microphones because it took five and a half years to find the person who committed this murder, these murders. Well, it's we can say it. It it either took five and a half, like, let's, let's say this is our guy. It either took them five and a half years to find him, or it took them five and a half years to have enough evidence to make this arrest, because you make this arrest prematurely without what they need, and he walks. I hope well, you're and, right. And again, we had to go through all of this with this affidavit, because mm-hmm. there was not a warrant for his arrest. Because they have been 
working this case. I don't believe mm-hmm. that these police in Delphi, Indiana have been sitting here twiddling their thumbs, yeah. letting these two murdered girls, you know, their legacy, you know. And no closure for their yet. families for all mm-hmm. of this time. And it, Doug Carter with the Indiana State Police in one of his press conferences says, when we find him, we will know it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's said so many things over the course of five years that are just almost cryptic yes, like that. very cryptic. But then now as things start to sort of leak out, they make a little more sense. So I, he, could, he possibly could have been talking about the bullet. Or, I, don't, I don't, yeah, I'm with Katie. I don't think that they haven't been trying to find whoever did this, but I think there may be, I can... <laughs> Talk me out of this. There may be some incompetence somewhere along the way, and I don't want to throw cops under the bus because we love good cops here, mm-hmm. but maybe there was some lazy cops along the way. We've had plenty of those stories, too, since we've been doing this tri- uh, just true crime podcast. It's not the vibe I get. It's not okay. the vibe I get right. with this. Well, you guys have followed it more closely than I have. It's not, the, it's not the vibe I get either. I think it's I just have... been difficult. I think just... it has been hard. But it's just... And, uh, we can this cut this out if you don't want to, Doug- but it's out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Mm-hmm. There's one guy that everybody admits was there, himself included. Mm-hmm. What the fuck are we doing? Well, you know. can't just arrest someone. Like, I mean, like I said, they could. I mean, they could have said, "Yeah, okay, he was there. Let's arrest him." But with what evidence? They hadn't. Let's I mean, get a search warrant and search his house. You can't get a search warrant to search someone's house without any without probable cause. I've got probable cause. He was there, and do you? He admits it. He admits, I don't know. He, he admits he was in There were a lot of people. Hey, you know who else was in that park? Those three people who saw him there. Well, the hey, juveniles. Let's search their house too. That's, <laughs> wow. I Scott. get it. Now I'm, I'm being ridiculous. I know what you mean, but. What kind no, of no, no, Wow. What kind of freedom or lack thereof do you want in this country? <laughs> I want murderers caught though. Well, absolutely. In five and a half years, it seems like a long time. This, and the, the video must not be, I mean, it must not be clear enough to make. Yeah, a, there's, there's a lot we don't absolute, know. Absolute. ID of because if he is like I said they've got him on that video but it's it's, really great yeah it obviously is not good enough to look at that guy and say I hope I hope as much as you guys do that when this all comes out we all go oh well that now it makes perfect sense why it took five and a half years I hope we don't go Jesus Christ why did this take five and a half years yeah Yeah, I I hope it's the former and not the latter yeah yeah well I I think they've been working in it I think Doug Carter is invested mm-hmm. in this. Certainly. And, and I did it's the not, case of his career. I did not get a sense from anything that I've looked at at the outgoing sheriff, Tobe Lesenby. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's the outgoing sheriff, mm-hmm. as I understand it. Um, I got the sense that he was working the case as well. Yeah. I mean, they were they were trying to figure just, it out. and just I'm just scratching my head. Well, it's frustrating. A lot it's, of people it's are. It's frustrating, yes. You got two murdered children yeah people want answers i mean there have to be a lot of people out there who and i appreciate the the direction you guys are approaching this from but there also have to be a lot of people out there who are approaching it from my angle as absolutely well. there are a lot i'm just very confused yeah everybody is mm-hmm. so it makes sense to me though the uh withholding the word gun from the video mm-hmm. yes because it does. if That's, i'm yeah let's 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 look at this from all sides. If Richard Allen is the guy and he and they release that in the video, guess what I'm doing? Yeah, he's going to throw it in the river. Go back to that. I'm going to get rid of my mm. gun, but he has his gun, which they've linked the bullet to. But he, as I understand it, his wife is standing behind him, and they are adamant that he is not the guy. You are innocent guy. until proven guilty. You are, and I have to say that with. Uh, 
this, not because I, I made to say it, but because it's the right thing to do yeah. as much as I want this solved. This is one of my pet cases. This is one of the, the cases that I wanted to do when we picked things that were mm-hmm. outside of Alabama. Right. I have listened to everything I can listen to on this. I have, I have over the years, you know, I think, oh my gosh, here's something new. And then it's mm-hmm. just really not. But this is finally something. I mean, they have arrested him and charged him. Right. Because we've had a few others that they thought they had the guy or they knew who the guy was. I really thought they were onto something with the with Keegan Anthony, mm-hmm. the, the Anthony shots. Yes. Uh, where he was impersonating the guy online. He oh, the, the, the catfishing guy with mm-hmm. the, yeah. the cop from Alaska. Photograph. Yeah, right. yeah. I really thought we were onto something with mm-hmm. that. But this guy here, he lives a mile and a half from the bridge. Yeah, and he's already inserted himself in this investigation he and has. admitted to being there. So, I mean, yeah. And one of the, the families said that uh, he had developed some pictures for them. He worked One of the at families a, of the victims. Yeah, he works at mm. a uh, like a local. He's a he's a technician. At, he's a pharmacy tech at a CVS. Yeah, and so he's developed some pictures for them, but but didn't charge them for it. Yeah, currently, um, his defense attorneys have actually asked for funding for some expert witnesses. For his side of the case, because they say he you know, he doesn't have any money because he's just a he's just a pharmacy tech at CVS. So. I was about to say he's a pharmacy tech at CVS. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that makes annually. I would I would imagine not enough for expert witnesses. Yeah, I, would I would imagine, imagine it's not much. Yeah, you'd have to make a lot to have enough money for expert witnesses. But did they have they said, Katie, what they're wanting them for? Or they're not going to say that. Uh, it says that they're attempting to keep their defense strategy secret from prosecutors. And so they've requested that the judge order court personnel and court reporters to keep information released and hearings confidential. Okay. So we also have, uh, the prosecutor wants a gag order, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, on all parties involved from speaking publicly. Yeah. No, the, uh, the judge already issued that gag order. Didn't oh, really? He? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yep. And, uh, I actually think it's a female. Is it a female? Oh, judge? May- maybe so. And that judge's name is Fran Grohl, okay. a special judge assigned to the case. And a scheduled hearing has been um, put on the calendar for January the 13th. At this point, she's going to hear prosecutors' request for a permanent gag order and the defense's request to have the trial moved outside of Carroll County. Okay, so, so it's just a temporary gag order as yep, of now. That's that's where we are. We're... We'll have more updates after January the 13th on this case. I hope we've not confused you too much with us. And by we, I mean me. No, I think it was. I think it was <laughs> but we did. We learned, we learned about some witnesses. We learned about some, you know, actual hard evidence. So the question still remains, how did they die? Mm-hmm. And uh, is there any DNA evidence? Bingo. <sighs> Do you think that they were shot? Don't you think that would have came up already? Yeah, that you know when we were talking about the bullet mm-hmm. and being in the middle of them. Yeah, because it was not fired. I'm just thinking, like maybe he cocked the gun to scare him, 
Maybe and you know he used it to control them because mm-hmm. you you're one person and you've got two victims. Yeah. So you're using maybe he's like I'm serious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or however handguns work. I don't think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's similar to the noise. Mm-hmm. I do own handguns and I actually own a Sig Sauer gun and uh, it is my preferred handgun. Well, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do. I prefer it to a Glock or anything like that. Like I said, all, all Greek to me. I mean, we, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not anti-gun. I'll say that. We have guns, but I, I don't touch them because I don't know how they work. So I practice gun safety and re- refrain from messing with things I don't know anything about. I have an Definitely old wooden practice. driver for defense. Definitely practice gun safety. I do enjoy going to the firing range mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you're just full of contradictions in your personal yes. life. I really am. I enjoy driving past firing ranges. Mm-hmm. Be careful. <laughs> yeah. Your you driving some, may you be more some... dangerous than those uh, firing ranges, actually. Yeah. yeah. You got some people who are pretty bad shots. You guys too. never let me drive when we go anywhere. No. I There's a reason that. for that. Yeah, yeah. there is. Uh, so those are the Delphi updates. I honestly, in my, this is completely Kelly's opinion. I don't believe they were shot. I just think the gun was used to control them. Okay. Well, it, that's I, a public park. You're going to fire. Yeah. Somebody's going to hear that. Yeah. Because it, look, you guys have never been to the shooting range, but it's loud when you shoot a handgun. Mm-hmm. I've seen shooting ranges on TV and movies, and it seems like it would be loud. They always it's, wear these. It's louder than you think. Yeah. And he's pointing to his headphones. Oh, yeah. I forget this these. is audio um, only. It's, it's loud, but. I mean, maybe, who knows? Who knows? But I just, I just do not, the way that the investigators have reacted to this case just makes me, makes my mind go so, to such dark places about manner of death and what happened to the girls. And it just makes me sick. And so I'm, and we know nothing about the crime scene. No. Yeah. Still to this day, nothing no. has ever been discussed no. about. No. No. Mm-hmm. Which, which to me means it's significant. Like there's the way that Doug Carter has responded and 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 talked about it, and I think it's his, really messed up. Yeah, and in yeah. his press conference and um the way that he's been Something on other podcasts, sadistic. And, yeah, God, I know. I, uh, yeah. Anyways, but. I just don't feel like you would shoot a gun out in a park, but I also wouldn't think that you would kill two people out in broad daylight in a park either. So what the heck do I know? Right. Anyways, so that's, that's so far the Delphi updates after the, after court, uh, after the first of the year, January 13th, hopefully we'll have a, a few more updates and, um, maybe on our way to resolution. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. All right, and so while we're giving updates, let's go ahead and tell you guys about some things that have happened with the Murdoch case in South Carolina. We did that in a four-part series. We called it Murdoch May Yep. earlier yes. this year. Mm-hmm. That was episodes, what did you say, Katie? 18, 18 through 21. Uh, yep, 18, 19, 20, 21. Okay, so that was the entire month of May. We talked about the uh, Alec Murdoch case and the murders of his wife. Uh, I'm going to, is it? It was his wife and Maggie son were murdered. and Paul mm-hmm. were the, were the mm-hmm. two children. But it turns out in... That case goes back a lot further than the murders of the the shooting deaths of his wife and his son. It goes back to a housekeeper who fell down the stairs and died under mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. There was a young boy that 
there in the town that went to school with the Murdoch brothers who died. And then there was Mallory Beach who uh, died in a boating accident. And it all was, of these things it, are tied to mm-hmm. the Murdochs. And we went through that in a lot of detail back in May. And you should totally go back and listen to it. I went back and listened to the fourth episode in that series because that's where we talked about the murders of the wife and the younger son. And I will say, just looking at our stats, those are some of our most popular episodes. Yes. The Murdoch episode. Well, it's, it, was, it was in the news a lot uh, at the time. It had, it had made the rounds on some of the documentaries. And HBO actually has a new three-part series that just came out recently about the Murdoch murders. I watched them. I got up early this morning and watched all three of them. And there is a lot of new information. You know, there was a, there was a Hulu documentary uh, earlier in the year. Yes. They did a fantastic job. But if you are, are interested in this case, go back and watch uh, that HBO series because there is a lot of new information there. They've gotten some security footage that did not exist that I had never seen before. They interviewed some people who were uh, peripherally involved in the case. The South Carolina State Trooper who investigated Stephen Smith's uh, alleged hit-and-run accident. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm there in uh, Hampton County. I hadn't ever heard from him before. He's very suspicious about what happened there. Was that the documentary also that had, did an interview with some people who were, it was the parents of the boy, Mallory Beach's boyfriend, Anthony. Yes. Have you seen it as well? I saw the first episode. Okay. And I saw the interview with yeah, them. Yeah, they get, they get Mallory Beach's boyfriend involved and, and his parents and some of the other parents of the children that were involved in that boating accident. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of new information and new angles of approach that I had not seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, just briefly, it's a very big, sticky ball of wax. Uh, mm-hmm. Alec Murdoch is in jail and has been for some time now. He's been he's admitted to stealing $4.3 million mm-hmm. from clients and embezzling from banks. And uh, some of his cohorts at the bank there in Hampton County mm-hmm. have uh, pleaded guilty to helping him fraudulently acquire millions of dollars from people that he supposedly uh, helped reach settlements with insurance companies. But they never saw They never money. saw the money and he had, he kept it. Mm-hmm. And then you throw his wife in and maybe she's just discovered it and she wants a divorce because now he's going to be broke and go to jail and... Well, and I think, uh, and you may be getting to this, Scott, and just shut me up if you are. It's but, too late now, but go ahead. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so the, um, he was confronted by the CFO of the law firm the day, was it the day before the two were shot? Yeah, and he was three days away from having to disclose a bunch of financial information because of some court proceedings that had already begun. And that, that had to do with the Mallory Beach case. Yes. And there which is, was directly related to Paul's behavior. The younger of the two. The brothers. Murdoch the brothers. And the, and right. the brother that was murdered. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do they call the older brother? Buster. Buster. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get Butch and I knew that wasn't right. Buster. That's not his real name. But anyway, yeah. So it, a very convoluted thing, but there's been a new development recently related specifically to the shooting deaths of Paul and Maggie Murdoch. And Katie is going to mop that up for us. Okay. Yes. So I'm just going to do a quick rundown of what's happened since May. NBC News had a great little, like, just quick timeline june 3rd we're actually getting permission from state authorities to have that housekeeper gloria satterfield's body exhumed because her manner of death was ruled natural which is inconsistent with uh injuries sustained in a trip and fall accident Mm -hmm. very sketchy there june 24th uh, smith is taken into custody on new charges uh those money laundering charges we've talked about forgery criminal conspiracy june 28th 
grand jury indicts Murdoch and Smith with uh, criminal conspiracy and narcotics offenses. We talked about we think drugs were heavily involved in mm-hmm. what was going on in his criminal activities. Smith's also indicted on other drug charges. And the men are accused of conspiring to purchase and distribute oxycodone in Colton County from October 7th, 2013 to se- September 7th, 2021. Now, Smith, that's uh, that's the guy they call Cousin Eddie, right? Yeah, Curtis Edward Smith, okay. the guy yeah. that he hi- hired, quote unquote, well, there's so a, they claim. There's a train wreck somebody should have seen He's the one he hired coming. to shoot him. Yes. Right. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Allegedly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. In July, July 13th, the South Carolina Supreme Court formally disbars him as he is facing 84 criminal charges and 11 lawsuits. Mm -hmm. So they're like, yeah, you you guys to go. We can't have you in the bar anymore. No. July 14th, the grand jury announces an indictment against him on the double murder charges in the deaths of Maggie and Paul. And this is because we have two sources close to the investigation that say that authorities have cell phone video that they believe not only puts him at the scene of the killings shortly before they took place, but also contradicts a previous timeline of events provided on the day of the killings that he said happened. Yeah. So that's their evidence there that we've heard of. This is That hasn't actually been released, but sources close to the prosecution say that. And... In a weird turn of events, the defense has requested that the prosecution put out their motive or what they what they believe the motive. In if you think he did it, were. tell us why. And that is like an old, old legal practice that people don't really do anymore. But the, the prosecution's like, all right. They say that their motive was because he was so desperate to escape the accountability for his string of financial crimes that he shot his wife and son to and then he sought to cover that up to garner sympathy for himself, buy himself some time, you know, to ch- shift the focus away from what he's being accused of. And, and it worked, out. right? And I mean, for a minute, but yeah. like, like we said, this is, this has all happened very quickly. Right. He is not, but they backed he off. Was. He was supposed to have to disclose that financial information within three days. And th- I think that involved his law firm and maybe the uh, sled, the South Carolina law enforcement division, but they all backed off. Mm-hmm. And state prosecutors put that out. Last Friday, so this is a very recent yeah. update. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's where that stands, and I feel like that's another thing that's we are nowhere near out of rabbit holes in the no. Murdoch matter. No, we'll have plenty other updates for both of these cases we've talked about today. Yeah, and but. and several others that we have uh, that we have promised updates about yeah. through the course of a year and a half mm-hmm. uh, when they become available to us and we will continue to do that because thank goodness Katie and Kelly take good notes because I do not. Well, and that's this whole episode is delivery on a promise that we made Mm -hmm. to our listeners that we would keep you updated on these things. So So there, let's open up the broom closet and shove everything back in there. We're finished today. Yeah, Keeping it. you updated so you don't have to um, look into all this like we do. Yeah. <laughs> Does it have read, to consume your life? Yeah. Read affidavits. <laughs> but you can. It's online. Sure, you knock yourselves to. out. Uh, uh, it's kind of a, a difficult reading. But anyways, thank you so much for joining us this week. Yeah, don't forget to say nice things about us when you rate us and give us five stars on your pl- uh, podcast platform of choice. Yeah, you can give us five stars and make a comment on Apple iTunes. True crime at easystreet.com or send us an idea True for crime. a new show. True crime on Easy Street. What did I say? At Easy Street? Mm-hmm. On Easy Street. Oh, well. You guys know what I meant. Yeah, right? and follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and yep. all that good stuff. Okay, um, I guess I'll see you guys next week, huh? Mm-hmm. Good night, everybody. <laughs>